Welcome to your daily dose of facts to fight off the liberal gaslighting. You can be in the middle of a hurricane. You have sanctuary in the city of Chicago. Or you can be on a calm day. North is still north. You could be in a thunderstorm. I am angry. We are not going back. Not ever. North is still north. People can yell at you. The hell with the Supreme Court. We will defy them. North is still north. It doesn't change fundamental things. And in this business, right is still right, even if you stand by yourself. We don't get fooled again. No, no. Live across the fruited plain and from sea to shining sea, we are converting the Marxist left one hour at a time on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Well, hello, America, and beyond the fruited plain, welcome home to the Wendy Bell Radio Program, your source for common sense conservative values five days a week. We're here every day of the week, the weekdays, we should say, three hours. Wendy Bell Radio Network app, follow us, join the live video stream. Also the podcast, Wendy Bell Radio. Uh, We are all over the place. Newsmax TV takes our second two hours of the show, our last two hours of the show, I should say. And we're just delighted that you're here. So thank you. we got a busy show. We've got... We've got a judge who's just absolutely crazy over penalizing Donald Trump. We have a trucker war against New York City. We have a Harvard professor speaking out about the truth. We've got everything, as I dare say, ladies and gentlemen. The American Revolution has begun. And I'm going to explain that to you after the most important part of today's program. Every program, join with me, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. You know, I want to start, so much that happened over the weekend news-wise, because, you know, Friday afternoon is a perfect time for big stories to drop. And they did drop on Friday. This monster judgment against Donald Trump, effectively handicapping him and his sons and their ability to do business in New York City, to use the the name Trump, accusing them of doing something that they did not do with a victim that does not exist for a crime that never happened, but a penalty which is meant to destroy and to chip away hammer in some chinks in Donald Trump's armor heading towards November. We're going to talk about that. But I was out for dinner with my husband, Joe, and uh, one of my sons over the weekend. And it's unusual that there's only one boy with us. But the other guys were all busy. And so this one came along with us. And we went out to this cute restaurant, have some tacos and some margaritas and some chips and queso. It was great. And we sit down at the table, and it's Joe and me on one side and our son on the other. And I could tell from his face, he was agitated. And he was agitated as he looked kind of peripherally at this, I guess, the couple sitting right next to me at the table next to us. And I really wasn't paying much attention. I was interested in the menu. This is a new place I'd never been. And we're like, all right, this is cool. Let's go. But our son was very agitated. And I wouldn't realize until about 15 minutes later when they got up and left, 
that our son looked at us and leaned forward and said, look, I'm sorry, I was just very snarky with you, but I've been paying attention to this couple next to you, mom, and I just really can't handle how they were behaving. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, what was going on? I totally wasn't, I wasn't aware. And he said, they clearly do not like you. And they were immediately on their phones texting each other and texting other people and looking at you. And I just, it's so frustrating to see people do that. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm sorry that that was, that was hard for you. Um, I don't care that they do things that people don't like me. I don't care. I know who I am. I have no problem with who I am. I back up who I am with the research that I do and, and I do it every day. And I'm like, the reason those people don't like me is because I do what I do. And he said, I understand that. It's just difficult. And then Joe said something that was really cool. I got up and went to the bathroom. And he told me later, after dinner, that he said to our son, look, it ends when you say it ends. It stops bothering you when you either take a stand and push back and say something or you close that chapter and you stop paying attention. The question is, who are you going to be? What is your decision going to be? And this child of ours is not a confrontational human being. Most of us are not confrontational human beings. But there gets to be that time when you've had enough. And you pity the unsuspecting fool who happens to trigger that enough meter on you. Because usually they feel the wrath of what's coming. And so our son has a decision to make. Are you going to let it go? Are you going to allow people in school to say things about your mom? Are you going to allow them to pick on you and to rag on you and to needle you and to say stupid things in the hallway? Or will you have that tapping out, tapping out moment where you drop your backpack and you say, that's it. We're taking it outside. This is a point, I believe, in our great American experiment. Where enough people have been picked on, poked, sniped at, snarky comments, all of it. And they're tapping out. These are unsuspecting people. You wouldn't see them on the street and think anything of them. But they have been percolating. Because they've been watching. They've been listening. They've been hearing now, it's one thing if it's your mom somebody doesn't like. It's another thing when your entire way of life, when the place that you love is under assault, and you've been watching from the fringes, you've been seeing, you've been listening, and you've been feeling the discontent. What is the final straw? What is the moment that pushes you over the edge? That moment where you cannot go back because it happens for all of us. Now, this might be an, a big ask of a teenage boy, but at some point you stand up for yourself, not necessarily for me, but you stand up for you, for your peace of mind, for what you believe, who you are, your truth, and you push back. Some people's threshold is bigger than others. 
But I dare say that that son of mine is getting pushed to that point. And I do pity the fool who goes too far. This is America today. When I say we are on the cusp of an American revolution, it's already here. The battle lines are drawn. And unfortunately, there are some unsuspecting people who don't understand what is at stake because they have not journeyed beyond the benches of their camp. They don't see what we see. They drink in the propaganda and have been fooled by lies from those who just wish to control us. And this is how back in the 1760s things started for what would become these United States. We were 13 colonies. We were being taxed by Britain. Britain owned us. They ruled us. They made the decisions and they were taxing the colonies on all sorts of things, but not representing the colonies. And enough of the colonists had enough. And it started with sporadic acts of violence. Britain pushed on the, the Stamp Act on the colonies, taxing all of the publications, a lot of the things that the colonists needed, and they pushed back. The Stamp Act was repealed. Next, they passed the Townsend Act, all sorts of other new taxes on the colonists. That led to the Boston Massacre. Townsend Acts were repealed, all those taxes repealed, but then they left the tax on tea as a symbol of Britain's control over the colonies, and that led to the Boston Tea Party. Britain closed the Boston Harbor. That led to the First Continental Congress, then the Second Continental Congress, then the Declaration of Independence, then the Constitution, and the formation of the three branches of government. What we are seeing right now, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what happened in 1760, in those years, an eight-year revolutionary war so that we could assert our independence from tyrannical rule. Well, we're back in tyranny, ladies and gentlemen. What will be your Boston Tea Party? What will be your Boston Massacre? What will be your line in the sand? And then what will your role be in it? Will it be to sit on the sidelines and to record video of other people standing up when you should be the one doing so? Will you, will you take the role of, of a keyboard warrior and chirp, or will you get out there on the front lines and fight? Because it has come to this, as it has come to this, for one of my own children, that moment to decide, will you be pushed around forever with the steady erosion inside of you as you know everything that's going on is wrong or will you stand on the uncertain side of war and fight back that is your question today and you're going to hear people on this program today who have made their decision loud and clear what about you Quick time out. We'll be right back on the Wendy Bell Radio Program.
You know, I, I can tell the battle lines are being drawn. And this is more than left versus right, conservative versus liberal. It is about just the basic things that we care about. And the basic things that we care about do not know political party. Because they are simple concepts. It's about feeling safe. It's about knowing that you're okay in your neighborhood to walk outside with your family. It's having a set of norms, of behaviors that you know everybody abides by. And all of that is thrown up into the air right now. And while I do blame Democrats, I blame every single Democrat out there, every single person who voted for Joe Biden, every single person who decided to fall on that that bandwagon of, I'm not racist, I'm going to vote for Barack Obama, even though the guy had done nothing, nothing. He served 1,414 days in the Senate. That's what he did after being a community organizer who was groomed by the people who hate America. I blame you, Democrats, all of you who voted for these people, because we told you this is what was going to happen. And so I read this headline now from BizPack Review. Perps are emboldened to fight. New York Police Department officers being injured in record numbers. And the story being picked up also by the New York Post. How about this? For, for For the last year, in 2023, I want you to consider the staggering number. 5,363 New York Police Department cops were hurt on the job. 5,363 cops injured. That's 16 and a half a day. We have rampant disregard for rules. And it's being inculcated in our youngest generation who look at their phones and, and get value in likes and, and trending and who's, who's hot and who's not on social media. None of these issues matters. Listen to this story. 1,200 New York cops injured in just the last three months. And you've got George Soros-funded district attorneys like Alvin Bragg, who released five of the seven thugs, and yes, the word thug fits if you're a goon who doesn't care about hurting other people. That's called a thug. It is not a racial word. It is a descriptive word of somebody who sucks and who has no problem injuring others indiscriminately for whatever reason. But there's a new brand of thug out there now. And they are emboldened by these policies of the left. And this is why I blame people who voted in these lunatics. Allow the offenders to get away with it and go after the honest. Go after the bodega clerk who happened to have a a knife just in case. Who ended up getting jumped by a thug and stabbed him and killed him, and the bodega clerk is arrested and charged with murder. Ladies and gentlemen, everything is opposite day. Everything is upside down. Right is wrong, wrong is right. It's ridiculous. And now what you're seeing in New York City is the epicenter of suck. 
This is going on in blue cities all across America. A mass exodus. Because it's unaffordable. It is inconvenient. And now it is undeniably unsafe. When your line of defense, the police, are told to stand down and are assaulted by the thousands, we've lost our country. And so as we see an exodus from blue cities and states to places that are run conservatively, where the rules need to be followed because there is law and there is order, there is punishment you're going to see these Democrat hellscapes with the people who can't afford to get out, people who are trapped, who have no escape, be swallowed in a flushing and filthy commode that was pre-planned. This particular article I find very interesting because the police officer in it is a young guy with a couple of kids. He has seniority in the New York Police Department. He's got extra vacation days. He's climbed his way up the ranks. He decided to bail on New York and move to Orlando, Florida, where he makes less money, is lower on the seniority totem pole, and is enjoying his life. Why? People are friendly. People respect law enforcement. When someone breaks the law, there are consequences. And he does not feel that every day he is in the line of fire. Battle lines drawn. A mass exodus away from unsafe, insecure, insane, untenable, unaffordable, ridiculous, inconceivable policies that put us all in the crosshairs. And the finding of not just warmth in some of these areas, but friendliness and faith and family values and neighbors who look out for each other and decency and morality and just goodness. Aren't you hungry for that? Because people will upend their whole lives in search of that safety and security. In the 1760s, it was a rebellion against Britain, against a monarch, against a tyrannical government. It was victorious. We are on the cusp of the same American revolution. What side are you on? Quick time out when we come back. One of the very interesting truth tellers, a Harvard professor makes a decision to publish a study that he knew was going to inflame the left. And he did it anyway. Why? Don't miss it. Next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. Welcome back to the Wendy Bell Radio program. I, I started falling for this story on Saturday morning when it first crossed my radar, but it's not a new story. It's just kind of coming out now. In fact, what I'm about to tell you about happened in 2016. And the story is about a Harvard professor. His name is Roland Fryer. And he, at the age of 30, became the youngest tenured black Ivy League college professor 
in history at 30. This guy is obviously very bright. If I'm not mistaken, he's an economics professor. But he is talking in this particular interview that we caught and started researching a little bit. He's talking with Barry Weiss, and you might remember that name. Barry Weiss was a former columnist for the New York Times. And she left the New York Times out of protest for this homogenized kind of witch hunt reporting that she noticed at the newspaper. And she's like, look, this is there's not room for dissenting opinions. It's it's a hostile work environment. And I'm out of here. And it really kind of it, it kind of focused the spotlight on the beginning of the end of, I believe, your legacy media. Because there is no objectivity really anymore. If there is, it's, it's hard to find. The headlines all chirp the same things. They are mechanisms of propaganda for the uniparty itself. And I think more and more people are paying attention to this. But this particular professor decided he was going to do a study. And this is before George Floyd. This is before the summer of love. He wanted to see, as a black man, he was interested in the idea that police officers might racially look at their suspects or people who they're going to arrest and treat black and Hispanic people differently than they will white. And he thought for sure that was what he was going to find. He thought for certain if he was going to pour over most recent, say, years worth of arrest records, he was going to find an uneven harshness when the police deal with with black people in general and he specifically was interested in lethal use of force so in situations in which the suspect died are police more or less likely to be harder handed on black people or white people okay he had an he had an idea in his mind but he decided to set out and do this and when he got the research back It blew his mind. In fact, he thought it had to be wrong. And so he did it all over again. And this took like a year. And the results came back the same. And he was going to publish his results when several of his Harvard colleagues said, you know what? You probably don't want to do that. (laughs) You really don't want to do that. And he awakened in a really big way to one that according to his research, The idea that police are inherently racist and discriminatory and very harsh to black people was not proven. And number two, what was, was that there's a narrative that has been around for a long, long time that a lot of people will go to the ends of the earth to protect. And knowing that, he had a decision to make. Was he going to publish his research and suffer the wrath Or was he going to swallow it and lose his pride? So here is Harvard professor Roland Fryer being interviewed by Barry Weiss. And he explains the beginning of how his research came to be. Listen. I collected a lot of data. We collected millions of observations on uh, everyday use of force that wasn't lethal. We collected thousands of observations on lethal force. And, and it, it was in this moment in 2016 that I realized people lose their minds when they don't like the result. 
So what my paper showed, you'll see tomorrow, uh, like some of you, uh, was that, yes, we saw some bias in the low-level uses of force every day pushing up against cars and things like that. People tend to like that result. But we didn't find any um, uh, racial bias in police shootings. Now, that was really surprising to me because I expected to see it. I expected to see this, he says, and I, I did not find it. So in lower level things, pushing up against police cars, yes, we saw cops more hard handed with blacks than others. But when it came to deadly use of force, I was expecting to see something that didn't exist. And he says in this soundbite, I was so baffled we had to do it over again to make sure this wasn't some weird anomaly. Go. The little known fact is I had eight full time RAs that it took to do this over nearly a year. When I found this surprising result, I hired eight fresh ones and redid it to make sure. They came up with the same exact answer, and I thought it was robust. And then I went to go give it, and my God, all hell broke loose. It was a 104-page, dense, academic, economics paper with a 150-page appendix, okay? It was posted for four minutes when I got my first email, this is full of Doesn't make any sense. And I wrote back, how'd you read it that fast? That's amazing. You are a genius. They don't care about the results. Do not worry about truth. We're not looking for facts. We're looking for feelings. We're looking for the wave of emotion. We need the headline. We need everybody to believe this and then for our media propagandist partners to run with it and continue to spread it as far as they can. And this professor, Roland Fryer, said, I doubled, I doubled it. I did one group of research, one set of RAs. Then I did it again with another fresh set. Result was the same. And people lost their freaking minds. See, it's not about science. It's not about facts. It's not about data. It's not about research. It's not about health. It's not about fairness. It's not about equity. It ain't about democracy. Certainly isn't about anything. Justice. It's about the narrative. Protecting it at all costs. So Professor Fryer continues. And he got, he got some squeeze by his colleagues. Some advice. You probably don't want to do this. You don't want to publish this, yo. It ain't going to end well for you. And the ultimate quandary he was in. Go. And I had colleagues take me into to the side and say, don't publish this. You'll ruin your career. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? I said, what's wrong with it? Do you believe the first part? Yes. Do you believe the second part? Well, it's the issue is they just don't fit together. We like the first one, but you should publish the second one another time. I said, let me ask this. If the second part about the police shootings, this is a literal conversation. I said to them, if the second part um, showed bias, do you think I would, should publish it then? And they say, yeah, then it would make sense. Wow. And I said, I guarantee you I'll publish it. We'll see what happens. Now, as I'm listening to this, and you hear the narrative break, 
They need, they need the story of a racial divide. They need a story that white people look at black people as lesser than. They need the story that we are bitterly opposed to one another. When in reality, that's not the truth. And everybody knows it. If his research had proven that, that officers use excessive force more commonly against black suspects, of course, his colleagues would have said, publish, publish, publish. But because it didn't, they said, you know what? Put that on a shelf for another date. How is that any different than Carrie Lake being kind of bribed by the head of the RNC in Arizona to shelve her Senate campaign? Eh, not right now. We're trying to do something and you're going to get in the way. Hey, Professor Fryer, we're trying to push out this narrative that everybody hates each other because we need them angry and fighting always so we can get away with our suck. Put your stuff on a shelf, maybe later. And he said, screw it. I'm going to publish it. So what happened next? I lived under, under um, police protection for about 30 or 40 days. I had a seven-day-old daughter at the time. I remember going and shopping for it because, you know, when you have a newborn, you think you have enough diapers. You don't. So I, I was going to the grocery store to get diapers with the armed guard. It was crazy. It was really, truly crazy. And how many people out there on the left have called the death threats? They've played that death threats card because they're desperate. They run out of tricks. They run out of trump cards. How can I get this next trick? I've got to do something. I'm going to create the illusion that I've been threatened, that people on the right are crazy and they're going to come after me. We're woefully apathetic about most things when it comes to other people because we're busy working, providing for our families, doing what we do. Who are the people creating the death threats? Well, Professor Fryer felt like he needed to have armed protection. And this is the greatest question of all. Barry Weiss is going to ask Professor Fryer at the end. You know, Claudine Gay was the president, ladies and gentlemen, of Harvard University back then. And she was so upset with his research and its results that she put him under basic suspension or at least kind of their own quarantine, if you will. He was in timeout for a couple of years because they didn't agree with his research. It certainly wasn't helping the narrative. And what ended up happening with Claudine Gay? Listen to the give and the go. One of the details in this story is that you were suspended by a woman who I had never heard of until recently. Her name is Claudine Gay. And she said this in a letter to the economics department at the time. Professor Fryer exhibited a pattern of behavior that failed to meet the expectations of conduct within our community and was harmful to the well-being of its members. The totality of these behaviors is a clear violation of institutional norms and a betrayal of trust of the Harvard community. So I guess I want to ask, do you believe in karma? I hear it's a mother <laughs> And also, does calling for the genocide of Jews constitute bullying and harassment? Yes or no? A thousand percent. A hundred thousand percent, yes. But I want, I, want to, I want you to hear this. Additionally, 
Roland Fryer was asked about the disparity between himself and his colleagues who had discouraged him from publishing his findings on police shootings. And in response, he expressed, I don't covet what they covet. And I tell my undergraduates every year in the final lecture of my undergraduate class, each one of them, the key to Harvard is to get a great education without letting this place change you. Wow. Quick timeout, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, Charlemagne the God. Why would I have a, a bite from him on the show today? Well, much like Roland Fryer, he's dropping some truth. That's next. All right, so I got a couple things I want to squeeze into this bottom segment here. Jonathan Carl, ABC News, talks to Charlemagne the God. If you're not familiar with him, he is a uh, he's a radio host, he's a talk show host, he's a podcaster, he's an influencer in the black community. He's also a very pesky truth teller. And he'll say things that are, are factual, just like Roland Fryer from Harvard University, regardless of the, the fallout. And you've got to ask yourself, why is it that these voices come forward and they're willing to do this? But I want you to hear what they're talking about. Jonathan Carl asks him, you know, when you say things that are negative about the Biden administration, do they reach out to you? Do they complain to you? And he says, yeah, they do. But they cannot stop me because the truth is the truth. North is still north. Listen to the exchange. Because I feel like you should be able to criticize whoever your elected official is, right? Yeah. And and even if I do criticize them, I'm criticizing them because of what I see coming up in November. I see what we're facing. So what I'm saying to them is, where is the sense of urgency? You can't keep saying that there's a, a threat to democracy and democracy as we know it is gonna be, be, be gone, but not act like it. And, yeah. and the other problem is they've always done this with every single Republican candidate. Since I've been alive, Whoever the Republican presidential candidate has been, they've demonized. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's John McCain. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, Mitt Romney. It doesn't matter who it is. They will, they will demonize the Republican candidate. And now that there's an actual legitimate threat right there in our faces, they're like the, they're like the party who cried wolf. Nobody believes them. Nobody believes them. The party that cried wolf. Now, that is a damning indictment for this from this man. Battle lines being drawn, friends, in unlikely areas, but truth is truth. Now, I want to bounce over to the ultimate clown show of the day. You've got an, a, a morbidly obese man pretending to be a health advocate who's, oh, who's pretending to be a woman. This is Dr. Rachel Levine, a transgender individual who's an admirable admiral in some health force or whatever, wearing this costume. And barking at us that climate change now, did you not know this, is racist. Wait for it. L listen to insanity. Go. Hello, I'm Admiral Rachel Levine. This Black History Month, I'm pleased to partner with OMH in advancing better health through better understanding for black communities. Climate change is having a disproportionate effect on the physical and mental health of black communities. Black Americans are more likely than white Americans to live in areas and housing that increase their susceptibility to climate-related health issues. And 65% of black Americans report feeling anxious about climate change's impact. Whew. Through our Office of Climate Change and Health Equity, 
and the Office of Environmental Justice, we're working with providers and community leaders to identify innovative approaches that empower communities to address the health consequences linked to climate change. Visit hhs.gov for more information and tune in next Thursday to oh hear from another HHS leader on how you can contribute to advancing better health for black communities. Is that not obnoxious and insulting? Insulting! We need a fake woman, right? Talking about a fake crisis, having fake effects that are racist. Got it. So I was listening to this and I'm like, 65% of black people say they're very worried about, about the climate crisis and its effect on their, their community in specific. I was like, wow, where's all the source data on that, Admiral where is the, the, the documentation that underscores this? Well, I found it. It's from a place called Global Strategy Group, G, GSG. Do you know who these people are? This is a PR firm that goes out and does quote-unquote polling to see what people of specific categories think about very specific things so they can use those specific things and create ads for Democrats. This GSG has decided in its research here, apparently, which is totally preposterous, that, yes, 65% of these black voters polled, a couple hundred of them, said that, they, yeah, they were anxious about climate change. Do you know who this GSG has done commercials for and represents currently? Well, they are used by Joe Manchin, by Kirsten Gillibrand, by the ACLU, by Google, General Motors, and Pfizer. They are the campaign pollster for Andrew Cuomo. They ran Barack Obama's second-term commercials and produced highly targeted ads for very specific people. They're representing 20 Democrats in the House of Representatives as we speak. And it is their 65 percent, which is a garbage farcical number, if you were to actually do broader polling, that Admiral Rachel Levine has decided to extrapolate during Black History Month to talk about the racist environmental effects of climate change, particularly in the urban communities where black and Hispanic people are. And that she, who's really a he, who's a health advocate, who's anything but healthy, is here to save the day. We're going to talk about this in justice terms. People are waking up. They see a clown dressed in an admiral's outfit, pretending to be something that they are not. And, and trying to get us to believe what they say, is it not so ridiculously, comically farcical to you? Because it is to me. And Charlemagne the God, he is not swayed. He sees it for what it is. And so does everybody else. And the left knows that. It's a perfect segue into our second hour of this program today because it's it's unusual for a member of Congress to in just a few minutes completely dismantle a leftist talking point 
But Senator Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma does just that to an eco-alarmist. And it is, ladies and gentlemen, worth waiting for. Next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. 